Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Hello, everyone. Welcome to ACF. Thanks for joining us today. My name is Mason. I'm the the worship leader here at ACF. And I know what you're thinking. You're the music guy, right? Like, what are you doing speaking? Uh, I've been asking myself that a lot recently, just as I was getting ready for this message. But I'm excited to share a few things on my heart and mind today. As you may know, we're going through a series called Adore. And in Adore, we're asking the question, what does it mean to adore something? What does it mean to worship something? How How do we engage in worship? And so uh, as your resident worship leader, I've been brought in to share my expert opinion, uh, I guess. (laughs) In case you didn't get it, that's a joke. Uh, I don't consider myself an expert in this. Uh, Even after doing this job for for six years, I still feel like I'm scratching the surface of what worship means sometimes. And that's because worship is something so much more than just music, right? And I get music. Uh, I've been working on that stuff for a long time, developing those skills and abilities. It's, It's kind of muscle memory at this point. But leading worship and getting our hearts engaged in worship is something far deeper than that. And so I can practice guitar scales for hours on end and develop that muscle memory. How do we practice worship and how do we develop uh, muscle memory in that? And so my struggle kind of reminds me of this. Uh, It says this in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. So if you'll allow me to creatively adapt this and rephrase this for our purposes, talking about worship, I might, sing it, might say it this way. If I sing with the voice of an angel or shred with the skill of Eddie Van Halen, RIP, truly the greatest loss in 2020, the greatest tragedy in my opinion. But I do not worship. I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And that's the authorized Mason translation. Uh, I'm so sorry. I apologize. This will probably be the first... And last sermon I preached, Brian's going to get angry emails about the worship leader changing the Bible and and such. But this speaks to the tension, right? Like, we can have a great-sounding band. I I hope we we do a good job. I work hard with the team on that. And we can have great production and a great energetic gathering. People are engaged. But are we really worshiping, or is it just a bunch of noise? And this this verse haunts me. It says this in Amos. I hate, I despise your your religious festivals. 
Your assemblies are a stench to me. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Ouch, right? This is, this is God talking, by the way. He's speaking to the people of Israel and he's telling them, I hate, I despise your worship. And, and why, why is that? If you look at that passage, it's because the people of Israel are chasing after false gods and false idols so while they're performing these religious celebrations and duties. And so he's saying, I look down at this and I despise it because your hearts are far from me. And this haunts me because what if this is us, ACF? Uh, what if God looks down at our worship, our, our music, our production, our, our gatherings, our celebrations, our religious ceremony, and just says, I, I hate I despise all of this because your hearts are far from me. So I want to avoid that. I want us to avoid that. And how, do we, how can we do that? I think it comes to understanding uh, what worship truly is. And so worship is much more than a music or religious celebration. Actually, I like the way Brian described it a few weeks ago. He said this, Worship is the art of ascribing ultimate value to something in such a way that engages your entire being. I especially like that last part, engages your entire being. And that's what I'm going to hone in on today is— how do we worship God fully with all of us, all of ourselves? Um, and so to get into that, I'm gonna, I want to get into our key text for today. It's Romans 12, 1 through 2. So if you have a Bible at home, follow along. If you have a Bible app, let's pull that out. If you have neither of those things, I'd encourage you to check out the ACF app. There's actually a, a Bible portion on there where you can look up any scripture you want, and our, our notes and all our texts are on there too. So let's get into it. It says uh, in Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 1 through 2. So this is the Apostle Paul writing this. He's writing to the church in Rome around 58 AD. And there's a couple key phrases I want us to, to hone in on here. So the first is this. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So right off the bat, we see that uh, worship is physical. If you thought that it was just a spiritual thing, sorry, I think when Paul says bodies here, he, mean, he means bodies. Actually, I double-checked. I looked up the Greek word here. It's samata. And you know what it means? Bodies. So it's, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, moving on, the, the next phrase I want to look at is your act of spiritual worship, or which is your spiritual worship. So it's interesting. The physical doesn't just stay physical. There's, there's a relationship with the spiritual. They, they influence one another somehow. So we're going to get into more of that later, but let's just note that for right now. The last one I want to look at is this awesome phrase, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so seeing as this is coming after, uh, you know, Paul's talking about worship, how we're to, how we're to engage in it, I think it's going to take a, a, a change in our minds. It's going to it's going to take us engaging in a new way with our minds. So I would say there's a mental or intellectual aspect to worship as well. So where am I going with all this? Well, I want to argue that true worship engages all of our being, physical, spiritual, and mental. So God wants all of you, he wants all of us, and he wants us to bring that to the table in worship. And so there may be parts of you that are more hesitant than others. Some of, you, some of this may be more natural, natural to you than other parts, and that's okay. We're all in process here. We're all working on this, but I want to just encourage us all to take a step forward where we can today, where God is calling you to. And so uh, we're going to look mostly at the physical and spiritual. I really like the mental side of worship. I thought that's a kind of cool angle. Maybe it doesn't get talked about very much, but didn't really have time for it. So we're going to start talk about the physical and spiritual, and let's start there. Going back— Torquitex, it says this in Romans 12, 1. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. So I'm going to stop there. So Paul is referencing the sacrificial system the Israelites had for, for thousands of years. And stay tuned for next week. Pastor Josh is going to dive into the idea of worship as sacrifice. I'm just going to dip my toes in here real quick uh, just to give you the context. So the Israelites would bring forth, you know, different offerings in, in worships. And so it would be things like animals, uh, food, grains, oils. They would bring that to the altar, and that would be their sacrifice of worship. So Paul is referencing that tradition and that, that image, and he's flipping it on his head here. And he's saying that now we are the sacrifice. Now, literally, our bodies are to become that sacrifice, that living sacrifice. So the question I ask myself reading this is, is why does God care? Why does God want us to bring our, our bodies to him in sacrifice, in worship? And I think it's because of this truth. And God knows this, and the Bible teaches it, that the physical and the spiritual are deeply intertwined. The physical and the spiritual are deeply intertwined. Now, these are, these are different dimensions of reality. They're different aspects, but there's, some, there's a relationship here. They influence one another. I'd say they have a mutual impact on one another. And so this is important, guys, because there's a philosophy out there that seeks to disconnect the physical from the, the, the spiritual, that wants to compartmentalize these things. And what's interesting is this takes uh, some religious and non-religious forms. You'll hear both camps and both groups of people kind of uh, appealing to this belief. And so with non-religious people, you might have heard them say something like this, or maybe even you've said this. I probably said things like this before. Uh, what I do with my body is my business. Right? And so this is the idea that, uh, you know, whatever I do, if it's just me, it just stays with me, my body. I don't, I'm not directly impacting anybody else. Like, what's the harm? And so I would say, people that say this, they're appealing to even deeper principle, which is this. What I do with my body has no spiritual importance. What I do with my body has no spiritual importance. And guys, you need to know that this, this is a lie. Like, I just think this is factually incorrect. And here's how you can know that. Um, I can think of, of several examples of where physical acts lead to non-physical problems or spiritual problems. And so uh, a few examples I can give you. One is uh, pornography use. So, uh, you know, the physical act, viewing pornography, can lead to non-physical problems like, you know, depression, relational issues, um, a feeling of separation from God. Actually, science has borne that out. The studies have shown this. Actually, I read one back in my college days that the people reported uh, feeling less connected to God, less connected to their faith. Uh, this is people of any religious background. They would feel less connected to God after viewing pornography. So I don't know how they conducted that study. It sounds super awkward, but those are the results they got. So another, another example, probably the most obvious, is substance abuse, right? Like I take in a physical substance into my physical body, but what happens? Like we see some of the, the deepest spiritual darkness happen because of addiction. And so you'll see, you know, isolation, suicidal ideation, again, depression, relational issues, and that, that feeling of separation from God. And so, guys, the, the physical doesn't just stay physical all the time. It has spiritual implications. So don't buy into the belief that you can simply disconnect your body from your spirit whenever it suits you. We don't work like that. Now, if, if non-religious folks might downplay the spiritual, I think um, maybe some of us religious folks have the opposite issue. We will downplay the physical and over-spiritualize things. And here, here's what this can look like. Um, I've heard some Christians say things like, you know, the earth is just going to burn anyway, so why, why take care of it? Why should we be good stewards of this creation? It's just going away. 
And similarly, some people have that perspective on their own earthly existence. Like, they're just so focused on like, well, just, I just need to get to heaven. Uh, they have no vision for their life here on earth. Uh, they're literally just waiting around to die. I had a buddy back in high school. We were, we were getting this Bible study going with uh, some young guys, just trying to grow spiritually. And he didn't get it. It was kind of funny. So in one of our meetings, he said like, like, what are we doing here? Like, I'm saved you're saved, so we're going to heaven. We got that question figured out, right? So I remember he said, literally nothing I do between now and when I die matters because I'm already saved. And man, if, if that's your perspective today, I, just, I want you to know that Jesus has just so much more for your life here on earth. He's got so much more vision. He wants to see the kingdom of heaven restored on earth, on earth like right here, right now. And so, man, he just has so much more for you than just waiting around to die. There's things to do. There's a mission. There's a vision. Uh, one other way I kind of see this with, with religious people um, is we'll, we won't look at maybe physical causes to our problems because we're convinced it's a spiritual issue. And so uh, take like d- depression, for example. Um, your depression could be a spiritual problem. It could be a spiritual attack or some sort of spiritual wound you haven't dealt with. Um, it might just be a physical thing. It's hard to tell. Like it could just be you're not getting enough sleep, uh, lack of sunlight here in winters in Alaska. Um, so life is complicated, and it's always clear uh, where, what things are causing what. And so I always encourage people, if they're dealing with issues, like, shoot in all directions, man. Like, look into every arena, every different aspect of life for a possible solution. Um, solutions can be lurking anywhere. And so we're multifaceted creatures. Life is very complex. Um, just be open to solutions wherever they might come from. So I think there is a reason that religious people might be biased in this direction, And that's because the spiritual is more important than the physical. Uh, Like Jesus says in Matthew, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I'm going to agree with Jesus here that, you know, the spiritual is more important than the physical. You know, our material possessions don't matter as much as our spiritual possessions. Uh, but I think we go too far. We forget that the physical is caught up with the spiritual. And that's why, why it has value, because it impacts the spiritual. And so if we're not careful, we end up agreeing with that false belief we talked about earlier, that what I do with my body has no spiritual importance. So it's interesting that, like, non-religious and religious people can, can get back to this belief if they're not careful. And so while this is kind of a modern problem, uh, this, this tendency to compartmentalize and divide our physicality and our spirituality, it has some ancient roots. And uh, so there's this philosophy called Gnosticism that was um, very prevalent back in uh, ancient days, back when Rome, or sorry, when Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and many of the other letters in the New Testament. This is kind of going on in the background. Paul is combating this philosophy. And what Gnosticism taught is basically this, that the matter is evil and spirit is good. Matter, evil, spirit, good. And guys, you need to know this is not the Bible's perspective, like, at all. Um, It says in Genesis, it recounts how God is the creator of our physical universe. And he says, it was good, like, over and over again. So he approves of this physical universe. Unfortunately, this belief still persists with us in the church sometimes, if we're not careful. So how does this all relate to worship? Well, Remember, God wants us to worship with our full selves, to bring all of ourselves into worship, including our physical being. 
So how do we worship God with our bodies? Like, what does that mean? Well, I think it means we begin to see the entirety of our physical existence as an opportunity to worship. So from your, your waking up to your going to sleep, you are looking for opportunities to worship in your physical life. And so I'll give you some examples of, of what I think this can look like. Uh, if you're, you just get up in the morning, you're taking your dog on a walk, you can observe the, the beautiful scenery we have here in Alaska. That's an opportunity to worship. That's an opportunity to notice the creation and to glorify and praise the creator who has made it. Uh, if you're sitting down for a good meal with some, with some great friends, uh, that's an opportunity to worship through thanksgiving. Again, to thank God for the good gifts he's given you and to return the praise to the giver of those gifts. Uh, if you're an athletic person, you like sports and stuff, like athletic activity can be an opportunity to worship. And man, I love this quote from Eric Liddell, um, Olympic gold medalist. He says this, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure I love that quote. Um, now, God may have not made you very fast. Personally, I wish he'd made me a little faster. That would have been nice. Uh, but he did make you as a physical creature, a physical being, and he delights in it. He delights in your physicality, and he wants you to delight in it as well. But we want to do it in a way, uh, we want to do it in a way that returns the praise and the glory for those gifts back to God. And, you know, and I think worshiping with our bodies also looks like holiness, like treating our bodies as something sacred, as something to be revered. Um, there's this idea in Scripture that our bodies are something tremendously valuable because of the price that was paid for them, uh, because the price that Christ paid for our bodies. Um, it says this in 1 Corinthians, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20. So this can be kind of easy to miss, right? Like, Jesus didn't just die for your soul. He died for you, like all of you, body and soul. And again, it's easy to miss, uh, even though Scripture is clear on this and Christian tradition has always held this, that we are destined for a bodily resurrection. When, when Christ returns, he's going to bring heaven and earth into perfect alignment, perfect reconciliation. And what that means is we're destined for a bodily resurrection in that, that new creation. And so our, our eternal existence um, is going to be a physical one. We're not going to be ethereal spirits in eternity. We're destined for an eternal, eternal physical existence. It's going to be different. It's going to be perfected and transformed, but that's where we're headed nonetheless. And so if we can start to get this, that, man, the body is something so valuable because of the price Christ paid for it to redeem this body, uh, I think it's going to cause us to have a great deal of respect for ourselves, for our bodies. And uh, I think this means um, looking—I uh, think this means avoiding some of the things we talked about earlier, things like pornography and sexual immorality. Um, scripture talks about this as these are literally sins against the body. They're sins against yourself. Uh, I think it means, uh, again, like avoiding substance abuse and addiction. These are things that damage and degrade the body, this thing that Christ died to save. I would throw eating disorders in that. Um, I know many of us, men and women, whether it's overeating, undereating, can struggle with this and struggle with body image issues. And if we can start to get that, you know, the value for my body doesn't come from what I see in the mirror or what I see other people uh, present or talk about or what they say about my body. My value comes from the price that Christ paid for it. If we can start to get that, I think it's going to go a long way in some of those struggles. So by now you might be saying, well, what about music, Mason? Like, isn't that your job here? Uh, 
It is. And so let's get into that. Now, like I said, I think music, or sorry, worship is so much more deeper than, than just music. I th- I'd say it's a heart attitude. It's a lifestyle. But we do see this close tie between the concepts of music and worship. We see it in scripture, and we, we, we talk about it here at church that way. You know, we'll say things like, and now we're going to go enter into a time of worship. And what does that mean? It means we're going to stand and sing a few songs, right? So why, are the, why is there this close tie between the two concepts? I think one reason is this. Music is a special connection between the physical and the spiritual. It's a special point of connection between the physical and the spiritual. I've often said that music is the only evidence of God that I need, the only evidence of like design in the world. And if you allow me to kind of nerd out on some music theory and some science behind music, uh, let me just break down why I think that. Um, so music, if you break it down, is really just mathematical patterns in sound waves. And sound waves are just, you know, movements in the air. So like when you hear a note, you're hearing a specific audio frequency. It's like a wavelength. And when that wavelength hits your ear, you experience a note. If you hear another note at the same time, well, there's like a defined mathematical relationship between those two notes. And so music theory gets into the like laying out all these super complex relationships between notes. That's where you start to get chords and scales and modes and all these things. And just super weird, right? Why does math in the air create this experience of music that we feel? Just bizarre, right? But not only that, uh, these notes, they're happening in time, right? That's where we get a feeling of, of rhythm and tempo. And that's all mathematical too. So you can take a song and we have these things, these time units called measures. And that's all, these, they usually form these nice mathematical patterns. And if you violate one of those, it feels weird. You're, you feel jarred. Um, and like on the worship team, if we have a song that violates one of these mathematical patterns, like we're all, we're all thrown for a loop. It's tough for us. So again, just how weird is it? How weird is it that these mathematical patterns in the movement of air can create this incredible experience of beauty and correspond to some of the deepest emotions of the human heart? And this is all built in, guys. Nobody teaches us this stuff. I just told you about the math going on in music, but you don't need to know that to just experience it, just to feel it. You just, it's intuitive. It's innate. I, I, I kind of compare it sometimes to like a spiritual language that we're all just born with. And so for me, that's powerful evidence of a designer, powerful evidence of a, a creator, someone who puts some purpose and intention into the universe. So in my seasons of doubt, I hold on to that, man. It's like, we've got music. So whatever else is going on, like, this is a pretty good clue. There's some design. There's some purpose here. So think about this in worship. In worship, we're using our bodies, you know, our voices or our hands if we're playing an instrument. We're using our bodies to express spiritual truths, and we're doing it in this hybrid spiritual, physical language that is music. Uh, It's powerful stuff. And like we were saying earlier, physical acts can lead to non-physical consequences. So I think when we engage in worship physically, uh, it can have profound spiritual influence and spiritual impact. And guys, even our postures and expressions, like our physical postures and expressions, can play a part in this. And uh, actually, in the Hebrew language, um, this is really spelled out. There's actually nine Hebrew words for worship— that get translated as worship in our Bible. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through these real quick. They're, but notice how many of these are physical actions. Okay, so we're going to throw those up there. Uh, first one's this. Halal, to praise, celebrate, boast, rave. Uh, yada, to cast, to show, point with the hand. That's where we get uh, hand raising. It's from that term right there. So there's probably, there's some verses in the Old Testament 
that get translated as I worship the Lord, but if they wanted to go with a really literal translation, it would be I, I raise my hand to the Lord, something like that. Um, moving on, we've got Tada, give a sacrifice of praise, Shabak, soothe, boast, pronounce, happy, announce with a loud voice, Barak, to kneel. And so that's a, you know, a physical posture of humility, of reverence. Uh, moving on, we've got Taga, to strike, smite, to drive a kneel, clap hands. That's where we get hand clapping, very biblical. Uh, McCall, to twist, to leap, to dance, to twirl. Uh, to to sing a new song. I like that one. It shows that there's a place for creativity and originality in worship. And Zamar, to play an instrument. And so just notice how many of these are very like specific physical actions. And we should ask ourselves, like, why is that? Why does God command us and encourage us to participate in worship physically in this way? I think it just goes back to the principle we've been talking about this, this whole time, that our spirits and our bodies are connected. Where one goes, the other's going to follow. Uh, think about prayer postures. Uh, you know, we'll, sometimes we'll kneel while we're praying. We might clasp the hands. We'll close our eyes. Uh, none of this is magical. It's just a way of, of using our bodies to lead our spirits into a place of worship. And so I, I want to just take a second and acknowledge the awkwardness around this. Like, a lot of us are not comfortable expressing ourselves physically in worship. And, and honestly, guys, I would kind of put myself in that category, at least before I, I started this job. It's something I've had to work on and develop. Um, even outside of the church context, just— um, playing in bands and stuff. I've been a musician and performer for a long time. And uh, I remember it's, I was very self-conscious about my body being on stage. Everyone's looking at me. What do I do with my hands? Like, it's a weird thing. So I can only imagine for you, if you're not a performer, you're not used to being on stage um, in that way. It, it can feel kind of uh, exposing. It feels like you're on display when you try to express yourself in worship. So I totally get that. And especially right now, while we're meeting in outposts in these small groups, like here, you know, sometimes you can kind of hide. We'll get the lights down low. We crank the music up hot. So if you're out of tune, it's fine while you're singing. It's, it's fine. But man, with four or five people in the living room, it's like there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. It's just us. So again, I just want to, I want to acknowledge the awkwardness in the room. But Having said that, like, how do we move forward in this? Because, again, this is something we're, we're commanded to do. And so how do we move forward in this? Um, I think uh, one way we can move forward is just to remember to reject that false belief that says we can just divorce our bodies from our spirits. Uh, so if, maybe if you're a you know, person that kind of will tend to this, you know, hands in pockets and, and not singing along, but you think to yourself, well, I'm worshiping on the inside, even though you're not engaged at all from the outside— you're, you're thinking a little Gnostically when you, when you do that. You're thinking like, well, my spirit's over here. My spirit's just like totally worshiping. Uh, but my body is just completely disengaged. Uh, we, again, like I said, we, we just don't work like that. Like where our bodies go, our spirits go, and, and vice versa. So I just want to challenge you a little bit there. Don't be, don't be Gnostic about this. Um, and also, I think another way you can move forward is just, it's, it's okay to practice. Like, kind of like I had to do as a performer. I had to kind of figure that out and, and, and work on it till I got comfortable with it. And so um, you can do that as well. If you're not comfortable singing in front of other people, it's okay to practice. Like, start just by yourself. Just you and Jesus have a little private worship time. Put on some music and, and sing with it. 
um, you'll, it'll start to feel more natural. It'll start to feel a little more comfortable. And then you can bring that uh, with us, bring that together with us, um, and we can worship together. Same thing, if, you're, if you struggle with the, the physical postures and expressions of worship, uh, you can practice those things, and you can get more comfortable with it. Uh, actually, I heard a great story from, from Britt Jacobs, our youth culture director. I'm just going to throw her under the bus real quick. But she, she used to struggle with this. She's like, I, I was, just, was not comfortable raising my hands in worship, like, like a lot of people. And, uh, but she, it was cool. She was like, I want to I get better at this. I want to I work on this. So she would get in her car by herself, turn on some worship music, and just like, okay, God, I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand. And so she, would, she just kind of practiced, like, just again, just alone, her and Jesus, until it felt a little more natural, a little more comfortable. And, and now she can just bring that to the table in corporate worship, and it's not that big of a deal. So I just encourage you to do that as well. Take a step forward, whatever that looks like for you today. It uh, doesn't have to be a huge thing. We don't expect you to turn to a really energetic, charismatic worshiper overnight, but you can progress in this. And so all this talk of, of self-consciousness uh, leads me to another reason I think that worship and music are so closely tied together. It's because of this, that music is a communal way of expressing our adoration. It's a communal way of doing this. Um, and so I, I think of the, the national anthem, right? What was the original intent of the national anthem? Now, I know it's gotten kind of divisive over the last couple of years, whether one should stand or kneel, which, interesting, right? Just side note, how important is it that that physical posture has come in, has become in our political discourse, right? So just interesting side note, but uh, with the national anthem, like putting that aside, what was the original intent behind it? What was the purpose behind doing this thing? Why do we sing this at sporting events and other public events? Well, I think it's because it's, music has an incredible power to unify and to uh, remind us of common values. And so that's why, you know, we sing the national anthem. The point was to say, hey, we're all together in this thing called America, right? And, and to say, like, hey, I believe in this thing. Do you believe in this thing too? Worship uh, and music uh, in the church functions much the same way. We're all coming together, uniting around a common cause or value, saying, hey, this is what we value. And then we're reminding one another uh, of what we believe. And so scripture says it this way. In Ephesians, it says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, in hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that it says, Address one another? Uh, some worship leaders talk about it this way. They say there's, there's vertical aspects and horizontal aspects to worship. So vertical is like that connection between you and God that happens in worship. But horizontal is the connection that happens between you and other believers in worship. Like, we're, we're called to sing to one another, to encourage one another, to build one another up in the faith. So again, if you're struggling with participating in worship and engaging with it, um, remember, it's, it's not all about you. Sometimes it's about the guy next to you. Like, they need to be encouraged. They need to be built up in their faith. Um, so I hope that, that challenged you to take a step forward in worship as well. So I want to close with this. Um, it is the Christmas season. And I wanted to think for a second about what does it mean to be worshipers in this time? How can we use this season to, to grow us in worship? So Christmas, we celebrate something called the Incarnation. An incarnation means a person who embodies in the flesh a deity, spirit, or abstract quality. But at Christmas, we don't just celebrate any old incarnation. We celebrate the Incarnation, capital I. So that means God taking on human flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. 
And so as you're in this Christmas season and you're, you're seeing the movies, you're hearing the Christmas songs, you're seeing the nativity scenes, I hope all of this can remind you and draw you back to this fact of the incarnation. We believe that this is a historical event, that at 0 AD Palestine, this happened, that God, who is pure spirit, took on human flesh. He took on a human form. And, and why did he do that? To, to sacrifice his body for ours, to give his life for ours. And get this, he still has the scars on his hands. Scripture tells us that. Like he still bears on his body the wounds from that sacrifice. And so um, if nothing else I've said has made an impact today, I hope that fact, the fact of the incarnation and the lengths that Christ would go to to restore relationship with us, I hope that can move you to worship today. Um, If you're in an outpost or you're gathered with some friends, I'd encourage you to just maybe take a second and discuss this question. How can I take a step forward and bring my whole self into worship today? Uh, If you would, let's let's pray together now. Dear Father, show us how to become worshipers. God, help us as we try to grow in worship and we try to bring our full selves uh, into worship and under lordship of you, Jesus. God, I, I just, I pray you convict us of the, the pride, the fear, God, just the sin that holds us back from fully worshiping you and fully worshiping you alone. I pray for the people that are watching at home. I pray they can see you work in, in new ways just in their lives, and I pray it causes them to worship you in new and fresh ways. I, I pray you just encourage us all to grow in this, God. And, and most importantly of all, I thank you for the greatest gift given the, the, that your son was given uh, at Christmas and that we celebrate this time of year, God. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, we hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week. Thank you.